Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. Thank you, Microsoft Surface, for being a sponsor of the show. Need a device that helps you get stuff done, but is also perfect when you want to catch up on some fun, like streaming live sports or checking on your fantasy team? Well, check out the latest member of the Microsoft Surface family, the new Surface Pro 6. Just take the keyboard off and use it like a tablet or snap it back on and use it like a laptop. With up to 13 and a half hours of battery life and the new 8th gen Intel Core processor, it's everything you love about the Surface Pro now even more powerful. Now it's time for the Corner 3. Welcome to the Ring NBA Show. This is the Corner 3. My name's Kevin O'Connor, and joining me here, back in Los Angeles, it's Ringer Associate Editor, Danny Chow. I'm here, ready to discuss basketball. Let's do it in Dallas, Texas. It's Ringer Staff Writer, Jonathan Sharks. What's up, guys? Well, I've had a long day already. I got really? up at 5 a.m. to play basketball, and now we're talking more basketball at 11 a.m. Central Time. 5 a.m. hooping? Already? Yeah, normally it's not a problem, but in the game last night, we're talking about it, so I'm staying up to like... 12.30 a.m. So it's I'm all over the place right now. <laughs> it's like a back-to-back for you, Charles. Organized game. How, how was your performance? How did you do? Terrible. Terrible. That, I, I'm just here for the workout. It's hard to play actual good that early in the morning. That's okay. You get a back-to-back. We're going to kill it here. Today's podcast is produced by Bobby Wagner and we're recording this at 9.09 a.m. on Friday. So we're going to get rolling talking about last night's two national TV games. And what a freaking night it was the Rockets beat the Warriors 135 to 134 on the road at Oracle Arena in overtime in a game they had every excuse to fold and lose. Harden got hurt early, didn't look quite right when he returned. The Rockets trailed by 20 early in the third quarter as the Warriors were getting seemingly whatever they wanted the whole game on offense. The Rockets didn't have Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, or Nene. The refs missed a critical foul, out-of-bounds play on Kevin Durant in the final minute of overtime. Houston had every reason to lose. And despite all that, Danny, Harden led the Rockets to victory with 44 points, 15 assists, 10 rebounds, hit clutch shot after clutch shot, one big pass after another, all culminating in the filthy, a filthy game-winning shot with two hands in his face. Danny, this was Harden's regular season masterpiece. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue against that. I mean, I I watched him drop a 50-point triple-double on New Year's Eve, like I think last year, a couple of years ago. But, yeah, I remember that. But that was against that, that game. But that was against the Knicks, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that was the Knicks. It, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, th- I mean, this game was it had all the stakes. It had the national TV audience on it and there was so much hype building up to this performance because of what Harden has done over the past 10 games. Over his last 12, he's averaged 40.1 points, 9 assists, 6.6 rebounds with a 64 true shooting percentage. Rockets are 11-1 and over that stretch. They went from the 14 seed to the 4 seed charts. I don't think anybody could have seen this coming from Harden despite the fact that he's been doing this for, for years now. This is on another level, what we've seen. Yeah, he's just kind of taking what he's always done and he's taking it like one extra step further. So really to me where it changed is when Chris Paul went down with the hamstring six games ago against Miami. And in the last six games, he's averaging 42, but he's taking 18 threes a game. And he took 23 against Golden State last night. Which is so one, the record. In, yeah, the yeah. record's 24. Right behind Klay Thompson, right ahead of J.R. Smith, who had 22 a couple years back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the record in a season is like right now, it's Steph at 11.2. And he's taking like, 50% more threes than that in this stretch. 
Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say there. Like, I think Charks had pretty much the perfect explainer for what this could potentially mean for the future of the NBA. He wrote a great uh, piece on... Perfectly timed. Yeah, on it, Thursday. It could not have been better timed with that game coming and then the performance Harden had. Charks, do you think you could just kind of sum up the, the gist of, of what you were trying to say in that piece? I think it's just like, by taking so many threes, Harden just raising the ceiling for his what he can do. Because we talked about in this game, he didn't even start off all that well. He just kept that. It's like the old thing about the Spurs or like, oh, we're pounding the rock. Like Harden just like pounding the step back three. Like to me, that shot, like <laughs> that shot is changing the game. Like I was, I said in the article, like, I'm sure you think about this. Like, is it kind of like the new skyhook? Like, I feel like this could be the shot that kind of changes everything about the way we're playing. See, the problem with the, like, I love the skyhook um, comparison in the piece, but the problem with thinking about it, I guess anecdotally, is that Kareem was really the only one who could do the skyhook. I think that's where I tend to land with Harden's step back. Uh, I, I think with that move specifically with him, his combination of handles, footwork, strength, length, which you mentioned in the piece, and I was glad you did, Charks, like six foot ten wingspan, the ability to get his shot off, like all that combined with his elite shooting ability to hit these tough shots, like he can generate shots and then hit these tough shots, even the winner that he hit with Draymond's hand in his face and Clay Thompson just draped right over his shoulder, hitting that shot is something very few players can do, very few guys can create it, so it's like Harden is, to me, unique and, and like Kareem is one of the few guys who could do that. There's not a lot of guys who can do what Curry. There's nobody who can do what Curry does right. because he's what he is as a player. There's nobody who can do what KD does. And I think Harden's really in that same category and, and he's just really one unique player. I, I'm not sure anybody can do what he does, but it's like you said in your piece, Charks, it's the construct uh, of that type of player. So like Steph can get that many threes by doing it a little differently. So could KD. You mentioned Luka Doncic or Devin Booker as younger guys who could grow into that. That's really the most fascinating point in your article is like some of these guys that are capable should be taking more three-pointers and, and Harden and, and last night's game specifically, despite getting it off to a slow start, he's continuing to shoot because he can yeah. create that shot anytime he wants to. And that's a good, I guess, worth pointing out too. It's like, it isn't just the step back three. It's a combination of skills yeah. with it. So because he takes those step backs, then he also has the elite passing ability and the ability to get to the line. And it's kind of like, it's like in baseball, where if you have like a pitcher who has like one crazy, like a hundred mile an hour fastball, if that's all he can throw, even the best hitters are going to eventually catch up to it. But Harden has these two perfect counters. And because I think it's crazy, like, even if you did sell the stop on the three-point line, he can do other things off that. And that's what makes his team been so good over the last two weeks. It's like Harden's got that three-point shot, but then if the defense kind of collapses on him, he can find the open guy. And then if, even then, he can also get to the line if the shot's not falling. Yeah, one of the things that I found really fascinating about the article is just you kind of redefining what a triple-double could mean. <laughs> I was about to mention that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so in Charks' piece, he mentions this new type of triple-double, which is basically attempting 10 threes a game, attempting 10 free throws a game, and getting 10 assists a game, which essentially means that you are creating for both yourself and your teammates at a very high level. And an another thing that you had mentioned in the piece, and I I'm gushing about it because like, I really, really enjoyed reading the piece and editing it, <laughs> um, uh, was the idea that Harden kind of embodies two different elite offensive players in the same body. Like he is both a facilitator at the highest level, but also a floor spacer at the highest level. 
Absolutely. I mean, the funny thing is with him this year, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he takes about 11 step back three pointers per game and like 0.8 catch and shoot. That's points, so you know? wild. I mean, yeah. they're, 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 the disparity is unlike any other player in the league. And yet that's partially because of the product of what's happened with the team. Chris Paul being out for a significant amount of games so far this year with Eric Gordon underwhelming. James Harden has needed to be leaned on as that on-ball presence who is taking step-back jumper after step-back jumper, driving after driving to try to draw fouls, create spot-up opportunities for other players. But like you said, Danny, he can do it the other way, too. He can play off-ball. He can cut. He can spot-up shoot. Harden is a, a dynamic overall player. I mean, we've talked about him on this party. He won MVP last year for a reason. He oh, yeah. arguably should have won it the year before, and there are Harden fans who would say he maybe should have won it over Curry, too. He, to me, is... I mean, I've I've been rambling you know, Christopher about him for three weeks now, like just arguing back and forth. But to me, I, I think he's one of the most exciting players to watch in the league. And that, that's all a matter of tastes um, for people who don't like watching him. Like that's, that's, that's cool. But I, I just think there's so few guys with this combination of skills and that like in your piece, Charles, that's what makes him so special is the fact that he's one of those guys who's pushing the limits of the game. Like it says in the headline. And in that sense, it's like Steph has done James Harden's doing it now. It's like, this is a different way to play basketball. But that really raises the question of how long can James Harden keep this up with his conditioning and his usage? I just wonder, this isn't sustainable. It's not, Danny, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope he, I, I mean, he's going to have to play in the All-Star game, but like, I would hope he takes the entire break off. Yeah, take it all off. <laughs> just chill. Yeah. Get, get, get your workouts in, you know. He needs to be ready for. By taking it off, do you mean not partying, Danny, or do you mean? Uh, (laughs) good question. I mean, I I would probably split it fifty fifty. He he deserves it. He deserves a little party time. You know, the funny thing is, is like you know all the talk about playoffs and conditioning and you know carrying this into the postseason. Talking about this with Verno the past couple of weeks has been interesting because the response on Twitter has been mixed. Like there's a lot of positive positivity. Like people love James Harden the people saying, Oh, you know, so, you know, I agree. And then there's people who like agree with Verno, like, Oh, he flops, he travels, he chokes. But after last night's game, it was a little different, right? Like it was nothing about flopping or traveling. He only went to the line, had nine free throw attempts, did not have a egregious travel or anything like that. But the response was still also like Harden's game doesn't translate to the playoffs still. And like he's had games where he's choked and he's had games where he struggled and the, the conditioning, you know, has declined as well for him. But I think really overall, that's been a myth uh, that Harden's game doesn't translate. You know, you can look at the numbers like since 1973 to 74 season, which is the first year basketball reference has the data in the playoffs. Only nine players have ever averaged per 100 possessions, at least 35 points, five assists and five rebounds with a true shooting percentage of over 50 while playing at least 10 games just to have a larger sample size. LeBron and Michael Jordan have done it nine times. Kobe did it seven times. KD and Steph have done it three times. Hakeem, Dwayne Wade, Russell Westbrook have done it twice. And so has Harden for two consecutive playoff runs. So Harden's game not translating into the playoffs, I think is a myth. He went to seven games last year right. against the Golden State Warriors, a team that won the finals and Houston would have won the finals if they didn't miss 27 consecutive three-pointers in that game seven. So Harden's efficiency does drop in the postseason, but so doesn't everyone's, everybody, yeah, except for LeBron James and Michael Jordan. They're the two exceptions. The two greatest players of all time, their efficiency doesn't decline. But everybody else does, including Steph, including KD, including James Harden. So with Harden, yeah, he's been fatigued. He's had some poor performances, but I think 
overall, he's been unfairly criticized for player performance. It's, it's the supporting cast that needs to show yeah. up for them, right? I mean, that's what it needs to be, Sharks. Well, like what I what jumped out to me in last year's Western Conference Finals, it seemed like Golden State said, "We're going to switch everything and make you shoot all your shots off the dribble. We're not going to let you get any kind of anyone else creating shots for you or any ball movement." And his three point percentage as the series went on declined. So in a, in Game One of that series, he shot five of nine from three. By Game Seven, he was shooting two of thirteen from three, and he only shot twenty four point five percent from three in that series. And that's what I would wonder is like. If he's doing this night after night after night in the playoffs, and he's taking like 23s a game, but if he's only making five, then I think there is some concern, obviously. It's not as if like he just started dominating the ball this past 12 games either. I mean, before this historic stretch, he averaged 30 points, 8.3 assists, 5.5 rebounds with a 61.2 true shooting percentage. He was the reason why Houston wasn't like in contention for the number one pick, right? That this is why he's in the MVP conversation now. It's his entire season what he's done, not just this recent stretch. So his usage has been extremely high. I believe it's at thirty nine percent so far this year, which is Kobe levels, Michael Jordan levels. So Chris Paul needs to come back. Like he he needs Chris Paul to return to the court to just help alleviate the pressure on him over the course of the regular season and then into the playoffs, like you said, Charks. But like that raises the other question, and you've written about this before. Chris Paul also hasn't been somebody who's been able to sustain success deep into the playoffs. Yeah, what I would love to see, like when I was looking at the Sterling at the Rockets, which is out to me is they really haven't had a front court player who can create offense since Chandler Parsons. Like it's all guard generated. Because if it's not Chris Paul and it's Eric Gordon, like I wish if I was doing a trade for them, I'd want to find a bigger wing who can also be a creator. You mentioned offense and Clint Capella is not a scorer by any means. But he is one of the better rim runners in the league. And I, I think the big difference, you know, watching last night's game compared to the entire game, seven-game series last year in the Western Conference Finals was Capella got played off the floor quite a bit. Yeah. And he wasn't last night. He played 46 minutes last night. He's playing a career-high 34.2 minutes per game, about seven more than last season. His conditioning is on another level this year. It's not the points or the rebounds or his defense that's more impressive. It's the minutes. Right. And I think that's where, in last night's game, when Golden State went small, Capella had the energy to continue defending on the perimeter, to continue rim running, to continue boxing out and rebounding, which is interesting. I, I think for Houston, the, the, suddenly the conversation shifts a little bit in the playoffs. I'm not sure you're as worried about Capella getting played off the floor, Danny. It's kind of the similar situation that you saw with the Cavs and Tristan Thompson, where Tristan Thompson was like the key to the series that won 2015-16. Yeah, Capella's effort has been amazing. And especially last night, his offensive rebounding was ridiculous. His third 2020 game of the season. Yeah, that's the key for him against the Warriors, is using that size. You're, You're looking at like a possession game that is... I mean, the the possession game is so important to the Rockets, especially because of how their offense runs. The fact that Capella has, I mean, he's raised his offensive rebounding by a significant margin over, you know, the rest of his career. And so him fighting for these extra rebounds, allowing guys like Harden to create more, that has to raise morale. I think think he's done everything that he can to improve himself and his team. His, pa- his passing is getting better over time as well. I, I think Capella's trajectory uh, with his salary, five years, $90 million, it's not even totally guaranteed. He he could easily turn out to be a bargain uh, if he continues getting better, even if he doesn't get better at the level he's at right. today, right now. Um, the thing I would like to see with Capella 
I feel like in a series against Golden State, I'd love to see like if they switch Steph onto Capella and they could throw it inside of Capella sometimes and take advantage of that and attack Steph's legs. I think that would alleviate more pressure off Harden as well. Oh, like like uh, Capella diving to the, to the rim, like pick and roll, switch switch it on the on ball screen. Capella then dives underneath the rim and you just throw it into him. Like that. Yeah, and I think play. it's yeah. like five percent less energy from Harden in those plays because usually it's Harden just creating off against a bigger player. But sometimes Capella could should be able to attack Steph at least, and really that makes Steph a worse player too because it hurts goes into his legs on defense. I think also with last night's game uh, for Houston, Austin Rivers has been really good. Oh yeah, he's been them. doing it all, all season long. Uh, all season that they've had him, um, he had 18 points uh, last week, night. All week and a half. Yeah, yeah, about <laughs> week, week, yeah. 18 points, four assists last night. He's grinding on defense. Rivers has been great, uh, two way player for them. And then Daniel House. How about Daniel oh, House my though? Goodness. How about Daniel House, Danny? So, so 16 points per game on 62 percent shooting in the past three games. Oof. He's shooting 64 percent from three on nearly five attempts in that span. Oof. 36.6% from three on the year, too, now. Yeah. For a guy who, going back to Texas A&M, has always been a pretty inconsistent shooter. It's nice. It's good to see him hitting his open shots, open opportunities. You know who could uh, use Daniel House? <laughs> the Warriors. <laughs> he was on their roster in training camp. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. I think, you know, the thing with Houston and entering the year in right now, for that matter, their depth is a question. But they found guys, Daniel House, who has proven that he is He's the wing of these young guys between Gary Clark and Daniel House. Daniel House and is James proven. Ennis too. Yeah, yeah. And James Ennis. kind of moved ahead of him too. Yeah, and Ennis as well, who was their free agent signing this summer, and, and obviously Carmelo Anthony, who's long gone at this point. Daniel <laughs> House has emerged. They still need more though. Uh, and Daryl Morey told the Athletic Sam Amick after last night's game that Houston will be buyers, which is you know, no surprise. They, they've been buyers recently. They need help. You know, Chris Paul is going to get back at some point. Eric Gordon will return as well as will Nene, but they're still a top-heavy team. Charks, is there any trade out there that makes sense? You mentioned a, a larger wing or forward earlier um, that makes sense for Houston to pursue. And before Yeah, I mean, I've on. been talking about this for a while. I've always been, I feel like Otto Porter is the guy. If they were really to say, we're going to spend anything we want to spend to win a championship, to me, a guy like Otto Porter, a big wing can really shoot it, who can defend, who can kind of who can facilitate a secondary playmaker, I want to see a guy like that on this roster. I think that puts them over the top. Like That's a guy I think if they actually want to beat Golden State, that's a guy they need. Is there a cheaper auto porter? Because I think financially it would be extremely difficult for them to get him without giving up a Eric Gordon in the trade. Because you'd give Brandon Knight's salary as filler. And then I think on top of that, you would need to add right. Eric Gordon. Is there is there like a young... I think I would do it. I would do, I would do a Gordon you would. trade. You would do yeah. Gordon and Knight. Is it because of the overlap? And, and like, uh, so Gordon is a guard, like Paul... And Harden. And then you also have Austin Rivers now, too. So yeah, you, Rivers can, I think, can take some of the Gordon spot. And I think it gives you more offensive diversity having a bigger player who can kind of be part of this offense. Not all little guards. Okay, so I'm really bad at trades, but I've been thinking about Charlotte just because of how desperate they are to offload Batum. Well, you've heard Frank Kaminsky is available now. So now you know this trade's going to happen. What if Charlotte's so desperate they're so desperate that if you give them the right offer, they might be willing to part with Miles Bridges. He, so had, my guy. he has like multiple first round picks. With, multiple multiple yeah. first round picks and then just the Eric Gordon and Brandon Knight combo, which would work out perfectly uh, cap-wise. Very interesting. Miles Bridges on the Rockets would be very fascinating. Nick Batum would just be another, you know, capable playmaking theoretical defender. I don't know how much he has left in that regard, but you know. Well, it would be two extra bucks. It's kind of like the Porter mold, but I'm not sure he's any cheaper. 
I, I, oh, he's not. <laughs> I find that idea fascinating. Like it beats it beats a Marvin Williams idea from yeah. just another player from Charlotte. Like, you know, another older guy. You know, he's been around for a while. You kind of know who he is. Miles Bridges pro- provides that upside for Houston. If, if I'm Charlotte, no, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't do it. But right. it, it's, it's like, hey, it's worth like texting. Like, hey, any chance Miles Bridges is available? You, you never know, and right? The one thing that's interesting about Houston, like they'll play rookies, like. House was on a two, is on a two way contract, and so is Gary Clark. They've already made Clark a uh, given him on the roster, and they'll have to convert House's contract soon because I mean he's his forty five days are up as crazy as the sound while he's playing. I have a list of a couple other forwards. These guys may or may not be available. Um, just some guys who make sense theoretically. Um, you mentioned Otto Porter earlier. Damari Carroll, a little older, declined a little bit, Oof. but you know if there's nothing <laughs> else, that one. If, if there's nothing else out there, why not? James Johnson from the Miami Heat. Uh, maybe if they're looking, that'd to get be off interesting in a small ball five mm, yeah, behind that, Capella. That Ooh, would I, be. I'd be interested in that. James Johnson. Ooh, Mar- that's really. How, interesting. How about Markeith Morris from the Wizards? Yeah, he's had a bad year though. He I'm has. Not sure how much? Maybe you can get him at a, a lower cost because he's having a poor season though. How about Dragon Bender from the Phoenix Suns? <laughs> you, you, you're going to keep you know throwing this out there. I'm KOC, I love like, it. Stay on know. board. Stay on brand. I love like, it. What, is this, what does this really mean for them going forward, though? Like, you, you get a guy like Dragon Bender, and it's just like, okay, well, he's, he, he's a really young rental who well, they you're got, not really they got sure to reunite the Marquis Chris Dragon Bender. For him or something I, all right, like that. I guess. I mean, that's all I mean. I'm talking low-cost guys. <laughs> I, I, it's unlikely they're going to make a splash. Well, um, KOC's thinking the, the Dragon Bender, Marquis Chris, you know, odd couple. We got to get them back going. <laughs> <laughs> sure, man. That, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, one other hardened question for you guys. We're about a third of the way through the season. Is he your MVP so far? I think I would pick Giannis for now. I think Harden's case is largely built on his overwhelming mm-hmm. statistics, and I would need to see him do it for a little bit longer. How about you, Charks? Yeah, I think I would take Harden. I was a Giannis guy, but what Harden's doing the last two weeks and how he's raising the whole team with pretty much nothing around him, I think it just speaks for itself. I don't want to let recency bias take over here. But First like, off, you I, always I, should do that. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. We're all about recency bias. I, I think I'd give Giannis a slight edge right now, but Harden is just closing in so damn fast. Yeah. I mean, and he could pass him. Look, give, give, give me week. yeah, give me give me a week or two, and yeah. I will very gladly sure. switch switch my for side. sure. I mean, it's early; like things, so much is going to change by April for better or for worse for any of these guys. But I think right now the top three is in some order: Giannis, James Harden, Joel Embiid, and LeBron probably plays himself back into that. You know, once he's you know back in the court, but it's going to be a fun race. Uh, I'm looking forward to the MVP race so far this season. Two guys who probably won't be in the MVP race, despite putting up big numbers, because their teammates are Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry. The Golden State Warriors in last night's game against Houston played well. I mean, it's not like they had a poor game at all. They were getting right. anything they wanted early in that game. Uh, Houston's defensive issues that they had early in the season were really apparent early on in that game. But they blew it. They blew a 20-point lead. It's another game where it just feels like Golden State has lost its edge. Maybe not in the con- conventional sense of losing their edge, but they've definitely lost their edge in the sense that the one thing that made them unique amongst even the greatest teams in history was that they had three all-universe type shooters on the same team playing at the same minutes who could shoot anywhere inside half court. And they could trust those guys to maintain their efficiency. This year, they haven't been able to bank on that. Clay's having a, his, like the worst shooting season of his career. KD's not shooting up to his standards. Even Steph Curry over the past you know 15 games since he came back hasn't been shooting at the level we know Steph Curry can. 
And so when you lose a lot of that three-point shooting, you know, a lot of the margin starts to slip away. If I'm Steph Curry, Charks, and if I read your article yesterday, I'd be like, geez, I want to shoot more threes. I mean, he had 15 last night, but I was like, I, I want us to, as a team to shoot more. Right? That's what I'm saying. If I'm Steph, I want a, our entire team to shoot more threes. They right now rank 14th in three-point shooting frequency. They shoot the third most mid-range jumpers. I think they can shoot a little bit more threes. Well, I think part of the issue with all their main stars shooting threes poor is like they're not playing in as much space. Like Houston, for all their holes around Harden, all their guys can shoot just about in the rotation. And pretty much anyone but their centers just guns threes. Whereas in Golden State, after their top three, they don't have very many consistent shooters. And it's funny, like they signed DeMarcus Cousins for his post presence, I think. But really, it might be DeMarcus Cousins as a three-point shooter. It helps him the most when he comes back. I can't wait to see. I mean, we I think we might have talked about this on a pod early last month, but I can't wait to see how Boogie fits in. Yeah. I mean, even if he's only 70% or 80% of what he was, it's just going to be intriguing just to see how he's used. Is it as a post presence as you said, Charks? I mean, they shoot a lot of mid-range. They're, they're not afraid to go to the post. They use the post as a source for playmaking where there's situations where sometimes KD or Draymond, they don't even look to make a move. They're just looking for a shooter coming around the screen. I wonder if that's how Boogie's used. Um but he becomes more of a threat uh, scoring from that area, more than a Draymond or more than a Jordan Bell for that matter. Right. I don't know. I'm just really in- interested to see what, how Steve He'd also be their him. fourth best shooter, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think in the easiest way for them to kind of ease him in would just be to have him spot up at first. And he's, yeah, he's, what, like a 37% three-point shooter over the past two seasons, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the big thing with Boogie for me is just seeing how he plays through what he thinks he can do on the court and what he's physically going to be able to do. I think that was a lot of his tension during the Kings days where like he obviously had so much ambition and so much natural talent, but it's just his skills weren't necessarily catching up or weren't necessarily caught up to that. And especially with an Achilles injury, you're never going to necessarily be the same player. So I want to see how he kind of adapts to that. Well, I mean, I think what I'm curious to see with the Achilles, like Boogie has never played in the playoffs before, which is kind of crazy. Like in <laughs> yeah. a playoff series, Stunning. can he be a targeted, especially after this Achilles in the pick and roll? I mean, I'm sure if he was playing in Houston, they're playing a pick and roll every single time. Absolutely. And, and if you get him stuck on the perimeter, James Harden's going to be able to create against him oh, yeah. more easily than maybe anybody else in their end of game lineups. Like if, if Boogie's out there at the end of the game with Draymond, KD, Steph, Clay, and Andre Godala. Boogie's the guy you're targeting every single damn possession. I mean, he might be like, he's probably their worst perimeter defender in the rotation period, right? Everybody else can kind of move out there. Yeah, I mean, even the the reserves, Jarepko, McKinney, Mm -hmm. Livingston, those guys are all better perimeter defenders than Boogie, specifically perimeter defenders. I mean, overall, if you're factoring Boogie's rebounding and when he's actually trying, you know, to protect the rim, uh, he's better. But like perimeter defense specifically, he's the worst in the rotation. And we're also just thinking about him pre-injury like yes. we still don't really know how he moves one other you know note about their bigs how do you guys feel about the, the recent criticism of Draymond um, right now he's shooting only 23.7% from three uh, only 7.3 points per game on only 7.1 shots his assists are slightly down it's partially because he's getting fewer touches um, you know obviously the present the presence is on that team I feel like it's been a little bit you know overblown with Draymond it's like he's coasting in, yeah. in the, I mean, he turned it on, you know, last night. He can turn it on in the playoffs on the defensive end as well. In the offense, besides the 15-16 season, I mean, he's 
Never been like anything special on offense. He's he's one of those players who is uh, just a complete super supercomputer, and like his true value is yeah. going to be seen in the playoffs. And if there is a decline in the playoffs, if it yes. if everything continues in the playoffs, then we can start being concerned. But the way that he game plans for a seven game series is unlike most players, and so I can't. I'm withholding judgment until then. For sure. I just think the weird thing for me with Draymond is like. He clearly, I think he's lacking confidence. I never would have thought Draymond would lack confidence. Right. I wonder if that has made his shot even worse. Right. I mean, I think I mean, for it's sure. Just, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, so it's, it's such it's a mental intent. game. It's definitely. Yeah. Mental. I, I mean, it reminds me of Harrison Barnes almost in 2016, in that final series. Like, Harrison Barnes is a good shooter, but once you get into your head about your shot, it can go really fast. Draymond shot 39% from three in that 15 16 season and about 31% in all other seasons, including the playoffs. But wasn't that the Luke Walton season when he shot that well? Or Luke Walton coach half the season? That was Luke Walton season, correct? Yeah, I remember when they bring him back. Maybe trade coaches, Luke Walton for well, Steve Kerr. That was what that whole blowout was. You remember that when like Draymond was yelling at Steve Kerr in the locker room? Yeah. It's because Steve Kerr was going to shoot fewer threes. Yeah. And Draymond was like, I got to play my game. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, we're going to talk Spurs Raptors. Last night, DeMar DeRozan continued to lose games for the Toronto Raptors as he notched his third triple-double, and the Spurs beat the Raptors 125-107. to It was Kawhi Leonard's first game back in San Antonio, and he got booed like crazy. Fans chanted, called him a traitor, got a lot of heat as expected. Chase Serrano wrote a great piece on TheRinger.com about that booing that you can read today. Sharks, Spurs have the number one offense and the number five defense since December 6th, and they're 11-3 and three over that stretch. After an, a sluggish start early in the season, what's the number one difference you've observed in their performance recently? Well, I mean, I'll throw it back to you because you had a great article today, yesterday, about the Spurs offense. I mean, I kind of thought they would, I left them for dead like in November. I did not see this coming at all. Like, what's changed for them? I'm, I'm really kind of curious myself. I mean, I think what's changed is their defense has been better, um, which I yeah. didn't write about. I think their defense has been better as of late. Um, I think that has helped them out, but their offense is also elevated to another level. Um, at, they've been a machine, man. At, they've been at, absolutely killing at number one, and there's, they're essentially generating any shot they want. Right. And it just so happens what they're generating is a mid-range shot a lot. They lead the league in mid-range jumpers attempted, but I think around 48% of their field goal attempts are mid-range jumpers. The next closest team is Cleveland at 38%. So this is a drastic difference. There are very few teams in recent years that have taken that many. But what's interesting about San Antonio, and I think why this is working so well for them, is because... They're not just jacking up mid-range jumpers all the time. They're only jacking up mid-range jumpers with LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, two of the most mid-range happy players in the whole league. If you look at the numbers, and this is, you know, I guess the interesting part of the article, about 24% of their shot attempts are threes with Aldridge and DeRozan are on the floor with both those guys. That's last in the NBA. But with just one of those guys or neither of those guys, it's about one-third of their shot attempts are threes with one or both, which would rank 10th in the league. So it's really about shot diversity. Yes, exactly. So they're, they're shooting threes. We saw this in last night's game yeah, uh, with multiple guys just jacking up threes, um, but not DeRozan. Not well, Aldridge. Well, the interesting thing about that, players. PSC, is like, because you have two all-star level players in DeRozan and Aldridge, and like in theory— if they're going to be having the ball inside, it's going to compress the defense. They yeah. kick it off for shots. That's not what's really happening. That's kind of that's pretty that's pretty interesting. And, and that yeah. and that's exactly what's happened on Synergy. You can track data where you can look at passes 
out of out of a play type passes from the pick and roll passes from the post and with Marcus Aldridge as of yesterday morning there were 88 attempted shots off of his passes from the post and only 11 of them came from mid-range and first score 1.2 points per possession off those passes which is great off of DeRozan's 217 passes out of the pick and roll only 69 have come from mid-range and 54 of those were to Aldridge so the point is, is that like Spurs are taking threes and layups off of their two mid-range oriented players, as, your, as you said, Charks. It's just those guys who are taking a lot of mid-range jumpers, but everybody else, this team is playing their same quote-unquote beautiful game style of basketball. It's it's really just, yeah, it's kind of amazing. They They had their very early stumbles, but... I think it was mostly just Pop trying to get everyone on the same page. Uh, I, I do want to shout out the defense because it's it's taken a huge step up. It, it wasn't that long ago when we were saying this is the worst defense in the league. It was one of them early you know? on for sure. Uh, and the funny thing is their defense is more or less the same as it's always been. It's, it's just a very fundamentally sound Pop run defense. So they do the basics very well. They always have, you know, a perimeter person you know, always in possession, always in position to help down in the paint. You know, they, they drop Lamarcus back, so there are always driving lanes that are being cut off, but there's always someone who's going to be there to recover, always there to be, you know, someone to rotate off. And yeah, it, it looks just like a Spurs defense, except they don't have a single elite, quote unquote, individual defender on the team. We were just talking about how Houston needs more depth and Golden State needs more depth. Um, both those teams have their top end superstar players. Uh, Aldridge and, and DeRozan are great players, but they're not quite superstars. They're not transcendent talents. That's what San Antonio lacks, but what they don't lack is any negatives in their rotation. Right? They, they have a bunch of good players that are all receiving minutes from Bryn Forbes, who is a terrific three-point shooter, shooter yeah. for them, to guys coming off the bench like Marco Bellinelli and, and Jacob Pertl. Jacob Pertl has been tremendous for them this season. He's continued to improve as a defender for, since his time in Toronto, and he's also one of the most efficient finishers around the rim. Just another smart player who knows how to execute plays, who knows how to be in the right spot on defense. And that He's finally in the rotation. It. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's give a lot of Davis Bertans, too. Oh, yeah. Man is shooting 48.5% from three this season. Yeah, I, I think he's like top top three in percentage. They, I think they yeah. were shouting him out as like Latvian Dirk during the broadcast. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's let's cool it. But, you know. It, I, I just think it's cool with San Antonio, you know, the 22 and 17 this season. We'll see, you know, how much they can sustain this offensive surge. And we'll see how real their defense is over, over the course of the year as they face more... Um, really good opponents like Toronto. Um, but it's just, int- it's really cool to see Popovich's system still working because essentially there is no system. He he adapts his system to fit the strengths of the players. So they're playing different styles on offense and they're continuing just to, the de- the system is the defense, as right. you're saying, Daniel. Yeah. That, that, that's where it's like, this is the way we're going to play. We're not going to switch screens like all these other teams are doing. We're just going to keep dropping the pick and roll, the big man defender, and we're going to make you, force you to mid-range jumpers, force you to shoot jumpers, try to protect the rim. It's just cool to watch. And, that, and that's the thing. Working. With, with the Spurs hitting on mid-range so much and them turning games into a mid-range shooting contest, you're not mm. going to beat the Spurs in a mid-range shooting contest. Like with, with, the th- with the three-pointer being so much more important, if a game is dictated by three-pointers, then randomness rules. But in a game in which they can control the mid-range, the Spurs are going to take it. Well, I guess if you go back to what we were saying earlier, they played uh, the Rockets last week. And that's like the one example of the Spurs not being able to dictate that shot. And Harden took 19 threes in that game. They won by like seven. 
So that's where you see if they can't get that shot, they, can, they might be in trouble. Yeah. And I think DeMar DeRozan, and just like one last thought on San Antonio, every season of his career, he's gotten better. He's, he's improved at something. And, and this year, last season entering the year, he, he improved as a passer and he's taken another leap this season with San Antonio. He had 11 assists last night, only three turnovers. I mean, that had to be sweet. He beat up the, uh, right. Kawhi. It had to be really sweet. He, he, he did beat him up. Um, and Toronto right now is lacking their point guard. They haven't had Kyle Lowry. Uh, and I think they've had only one of the last 10 games and they're five and five over that stretch. He was yeah, playing rough. Like a, he was playing like an all NBA, a borderline all NBA point guard. Before this stretch, Danny, what are they? What have they lost without him? It's just a a guy who literally has star potential on offense. Right now, they're they're having to play Fred VanVleet a lot of minutes, and he was a plus minus star last year. Uh, but things have kind of regressed. Not quite this as year. good this year. No, no, it's because for one, teams have a better scouting report on this mm-hmm. guy who came out of Wichita State, who they probably had no idea about. Um, but two, he's he's a guy you count on because. His floor is so high, but it's not because his ceiling is high, you know, so you can you can definitely count on him to not make mistakes. But, you know, against teams that also don't make mistakes that are also very good, he's his effectiveness is going to wane. And I think last last night against the Spurs, the Spurs were basically just letting him run pick and pops with Ibaka because that was the only thing he could do. Yeah. That was it. It, it. It's funny because last night's game, Kawhi shot only 13 times. He made eight of his shots. And San Antonio was overhelping on him at times. Even, you know, subtle uh, double teams as well to get the ball out of his hands. And yet there were times it's like Van Vliet is jacking up shots. It's like, just get the ball to Kawhi. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Just get it to him. And, and I, I don't know if that's the product of the system or coaching um, or Van Vliet just, you know, freelancing and doing it on his own. But I would have liked to see Kawhi force issue more last night, regardless uh, of who, how the ball is getting to him. I think only 8 of 13, Kawhi was solid. And, and I think he could have done more in last night's game. But the one thing about Kawhi, though, is he's really not a high-level playmaker. So like that's why Lowry's so important, because Kawhi is your primary option. I think he's getting like two and a half assists a game this year or something. Like He's not really going to be a guy who creates shots for everybody else. He's going to get into his own thing. He's still too often, he has like kind of tunnel vision yeah. on his shot. He's a solid passer. Sometimes good, but but not a great pass from not by any means. Particularly no. creative. No, with Toronto, I think last night's game they also didn't have Jonas Valanciunas, who would, huge, who would have been critical yeah. to them. He would have started in a matchup against someone like Lamarcus Aldridge. Obviously, no Kyle Lowry to have defending against. You know, Demar Derozan or even Derek White, who has been extremely good for San Antonio yeah. since returning to the floor. Uh, I wouldn't overreact to this recent uh, stretch for Toronto. Um, if they have those guys back, they're going to be a really good, really deep team. Also, Danny Green had the but worst game of his of 0, his 0 for seven, zero for six from three. I I just do wonder overall if there's one rotation change they they need to make. I mean, I'd like to see Chris Boucher a little bit more. I'd just be curious to see how he performs. You know, Charks. You know, him at Oregon. the where at the five or something. <laughs> just a little bit more at the four or the five. I, I would just be curious to see him getting minutes over Greg Monroe. With his length, his shot blocking ability, and the spacing that he provides, I just I'd be curious to see how that works over the stretch without Valanciunas. Just a no, either tweak. one of those guys is not going to be playing in the playoffs. Regardless. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. I, I guess in the meantime, I'm just I'm just intrigued. I'm, yeah. I'd like to know um, how he's going to perform. Let's throw a quick outlet pass to the weekend, Danny. Raptors have a pretty brutal weekend, don't they? Yeah. So Saturday, I think they're playing the Bucks, and then the following night, they're back at home playing the Pacers. So this is two very familiar foes. They've played both teams a few times this season. Uh, we've learned a little bit about them 
each step of the way. I think the the last win against the Pacers was one controversial, but two, it was only decided by two points. Yeah, I, I mean, especially after this kind of embarrassing loss to the Spurs, kind of want to see them pick it up a Is, bit. What's Lowry's status for these games? I think he was well. He was questionable for the Spurs game, so I'm assuming he could be bumped up to probable for one of these games. Hopefully, it's going to be tough for Toronto this weekend, and that brings us to the NBA watch of the night. On Friday night on ESPN, the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to take on the Portland Trailblazers as the battle of two Western Conference playoff teams. Charks, what are you looking for in this game? Well, I think with OKC, uh, the story right now is Russell Westbrook. He's been what, like, he's shooting some of the worst numbers of his career over the last few weeks. Markel Fultz-like. And, like, <laughs> and you have a team like Portland, their whole strategy is to give up that mid-range shot Russ loves to just take. So we'll see if he'll still willing to take shots as frequently. And if you can make them at any kind of reasonable rate. And remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com, Amazon, or your local cable or satellite provider. This season, the Western Conference, there's starting to be a little bit of separation after it was so tight early on between the 1 and the 14 seed. Right now, there's five games of separation between the 1 and the 8. That order right now, as of Friday morning, is Denver, Oklahoma City, Golden State, Houston, Portland, LA Clippers, San Antonio Spurs, LA Lakers. Personally, I'm not sure how much this is going to change. I think this could very well be the eight teams that make hmm. the playoffs. Do Do either of you guys see any of these eight teams sliding out? Um, right now, Sacramento in the nine seed is two games back from the Lakers. Memphis, two and a half. Dallas, two and a half back. I mean, I would love to see Sacramento in the playoffs again. Uh, but this is something that I wrote earlier in the week. Um, but this time last year, the playoff picture was pretty much set. So you had in both conferences in yeah. in the West. In the West, okay. Uh, so in the West, you had on I think New Year's Day, 2018, you had seven of the eight eventual playoff teams in the playoff picture. Then the only team that dropped down was the Nuggets, who were one game away, the final game against the yeah. Wolves, away from the wow, playoffs. That's interesting. And the Jazz, who went on a huge surge after Rudy Gobert came back. So it isn't uncommon to see, you know, the playoff picture shape up so quickly, which is exactly why this year, with it being so crazy, um, it's so interesting. I wonder about the Clippers. They've really been kind of falling off lately. And I think, too, the Lakers with LeBron, if LeBron's out. I mean, that's, that's the thing, obviously, too, is with the injuries. It's, it's still close enough where one injury can kind of derail the whole season. Yeah. It's ultimately the variable injuries um, for any of those teams that are going to be on the bubble. I, I I do think for the most part, though, I, I just don't view SAC, Memphis, Dallas, Minnesota on that same level. I think New Orleans, you need Anthony Davis going another tier like he did the end last season, like James Harden's doing right now. You're going to need that from Anthony Davis. With Utah, their defense has been tremendous since Thanksgiving. I believe it ranks number one in defensive rating. They've been great on that. And again, still can't shoot. They still can't shoot. They still can't score. Donovan Mitchell, you know, as much as he was beloved last year, you know, making his rookie of the year push, as much as, you know, it's hard still not to love him. He's still an inefficient player. And he needs to improve as a shooter. He needs to improve as a passer, as an interior finisher. And he was a guy we all, all three of us really liked him in the draft. He's somebody who is going to be a good player for a long time. But right now, for Utah, they need him to elevate his play. It's just not there right now for them. Yeah, it feels like Utah and New Orleans have the highest upside of those teams out of the mix right now. But KSC, you don't see uh, Justin Holiday changing the balance of power in the West? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> Look, if anyone's no, changing the balance that, of power that, that, for the Grizzlies, it's Jaron Jackson Jr. A, absolutely. I, I, Justin Holiday, I think he should be like a, a ne- next week Charles Broccoli, who he play for thing. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, nobody I, watches the Bulls, so yeah, 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 I, people wouldn't remember. I, I, don't, I don't think Charles will get that one. A lot of people would not get that one. But no, Jaron Jackson is the balance of power. We talked about him last week about how yeah. we'd love to see just see him play more minutes right. anyway, regardless of the following. Just force feed him the ball. I, I think that's fair as well. And there's all there's also trades. Like I know the Mavs have been had their name out there trying to make a move. I mean, I, I expect there'll be some movement in trades with some of these teams too. What was the the, the recent trade report uh, Ooh, regarding Dallas Mavs? For the Mavs, it was Otto Porter. People were talking. Ah, uh, that's right. It, it was. Oh man, I'd be so excited for that. That was, <laughs> that was Tim Cato from the Athletic, I believe, correct? Uh, who reported the Otto Porter? Let's give Tim. Let's, let's give Tim some love. I don't remember, but sure. Love Would it Tim. be for like Wes Matthews and and yeah, stuff or what? Or, or, or to be Barnes straight up? Barnes maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. How do you like that trade, Danny? Sure, sure. Uh, whatever makes Sharks happy. Is there what we I go. Want. That's my fair. editor. I love it. <laughs> I think with you know Porter, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, he's hasn't been quite as good last uh, this season, and obviously his numbers are down as well uh, from the past. Did you see that split though, KOC, where like. Porter without wall has been yeah. like as good as ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You I know, don't know if that means know, anything, you know, but it's an interesting gamble. <laughs> 37% from three. He's playing in a slow offense. I would love to see Porter in like a high t- on a high tempo team like the Kings. Uh, I think he would be intriguing. He'd be on great Dallas for them well. too. Yeah. Uh, playing off Luka Doncic uh, on Dallas would be really interesting. A guy with his passing vision. Hmm. Be intriguing. I think Otto Porter, despite his salary and what he's going to cost, he can end up looking better on his new team oh, yeah. compared to where he's at right now. Yeah, by the time the season's over, I've written an article saying Otto Porter for like every team in the world. I think that's so on brand, yeah, dude. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, there's one other piece of news we have to hit before we're done. Uh, projected 2019 NBA draft lottery prospect Bull Bull is out for the season. Ah, sad, man. sad, very sad because of surgery to repair a non-displaced fracture of the navicular bone in his left foot. Bull Bull is a seven foot two center who played only nine games this season, uh, but... Man, but, bull bull. Okay, so, nine games into the season, he's hitting 52% of his three-pointers on two attempts per game. <laughs> if you were to look at the history of college basketball and the three-point line, the only centers who have shot better than that were two dudes who have only played one game in their career. <laughs> Bull Bull is the well, he's greatest. He's only played nine, Danny. That's not <laughs> okay, like so in those more. nine games, Who in cares? those nine <laughs> games, Bull Bull is the greatest shooting center in college basketball history. <laughs> this dude is not getting past, you know, the top eight. Yeah, he's getting drafted. I don't know. Is that what's that foot injury? Is that a bad foot injury? Yeah, I don't it's know the Embiid injury. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, 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 it's I mean, a, for a seven foot three guy, that's just kind of a big red flag. It's a bad injury, and he already was dealing with a knee injury earlier in the season as well. He's a guy where prior to all this. All the talk between NBA people are like, yeah, he's seven foot two. Yeah, he can shoot threes. Yeah, he can protect the rim. Yeah. Like if you're making, you know, if you're doing like your comp Rushmore charts, Chris Davis Porzingis is probably one of the guys on it. However, with his body, it's it just, just really, really weirdly built. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to see him staying healthy. There's concern in the NBA prior to all this about his durability. Right. And that was the primary reason why this guy isn't taken seriously as a top five guy. There was already scouts who viewed him as a deep end of the lottery player. And this isn't a draft. It's really not that strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wonder... 
could he slide towards the back of the first round, or or do you think that this is somebody with his upside? You're you're still going to feel comfortable taking a swing at him mid lottery, late lottery, despite the injury. I think I think a team would would take a swing with him. I don't think he drops past the tenth pick. Unless, unless I worry this, about his speed, though. Even he regardless is slow. of the health stuff, mm-hmm. he doesn't move that well. Neither does Nikola Jokic, man. Yeah. Um, so you'd feel comfortable around the tenth pick. I I think Personally, so. If you're a GM. If look, if if the if the injury looks a little bit more severe than what I'm thinking it is, uh, it, that could be an issue because this is this is an injury that has affected players of his size. You know, Joel Embiid, uh, Zadrunas Olgauskas was a very popular or was a very famous case of this and it it derailed like his first three years of his career he ended up having a great career but you know these foot injuries with big men it's they're no joke supersized big men yeah it's like there's the extra level of like seven foot two seven foot three i mean guys like that don't stay healthy generally and in general you still view him as a lottery prospect as well sharks I gotta watch. I have to go back and watch. You know, I thought I get to watch him more than nine games this year, so I will have to go back and watch some <laughs> of his earlier games. I haven't seen him that often. Uh, ultimately, a lot of it's going to depend on the medical. Like when teams get yeah. him in, give him a physical, and find out what's really going on inside of his body. Uh, that that's going to determine where he's going to end up going. And if a team is willing to take a risk on him, if if he's red flagged for multiple potential issues, which would not be much of a surprise considering his injury history and his body. It's a, yeah. it's a real bummer because it he uh, mm-hmm. Oregon was going to be visiting USC very soon. We oh. could have we could have caught yeah. uh, cr- cr- crunches you know, of that game. Yeah, very so, so, might, might not go now. Yeah, I, I like I had I had tickets ready to go, and I was just like, oh, yeah, I, don't, uh, I don't know. Hey, I can go still see Kevin Porter Jr. Man. I don't think we can do that uh, either. Yeah, he might be shut down. Too. <laughs> I mean, he may, I mean, hopefully he comes back, though. I, I mean, there's a chance. We don't know for sure yet. But yeah, a lot of these guys are going to be getting shut down. This is my, reminds me of college injury. football now. It's like with these uh, bowl games. But now it's the whole season. Like, ah, we're done enough. Kevin Porter's played, what, seven, six, six seven games? Because he's been hurt for a while, too. Yeah, he, he's been out since uh, early November or late November. Early seven December, games. Something like that. Yeah. I remember, I saw him against Vanderbilt. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, he's, we were both of that game. Very, yeah. yeah. Very solidly built, mm-hmm. uh, had pretty much the full package in terms of creation abilities. Yeah. You just kind of wanted to see more than seven games yeah. of it. Coming off the bench for yeah. USC as well, it's like, yeah, hopefully by the end of this year, this guy's starting, getting, getting you know, 34 minutes per game. But yeah, he's played only around 20-ish each game. Don't know if we're going to see Kevin Porter again. I hope so, though. That would be a good reason to go to that Oregon-USC game. We're out of time today, but before we go, we have one final segment that's actually Danny's idea but he didn't want to do it until we pressured him into doing it. Danny, what's the segment called and what's it about? So I can, so we have a corner three slack where we do a little bit of planning and I came up with this really stupid idea about doing a segment, a one minute segment where I go ISO and do a segment called Herder He Wrote. Get it? Murder, she wrote. Uh, about, <laughs> my favorite, about my favorite rookie of the season who isn't Luka Doncic or Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, so this past week, Kevin Herter dunked on Jeff Green. It was a very cool thing. And that concludes the segment. I love it, Danny. We're going to do this it. as often as Stay we can. Stay tuned, people. Stay tuned uh, I, I'm, for this. I'm going to, as year. soon as we're it's done here, grow from here, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to YouTube searching Herter dunk on Jeff Green. That's all we have time for today, guys. That was fun. <laughs> have a good one, Danny, John. Thank you. 
as always. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> and thank you for listening to The Corner 3. Please, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Tell your friends. Tell your family about the show. Make us all super, super happy if you do that. Special shout out to Bobby Wagner for producing the podcast and to my good friend Elon for listening to the show. We'll be back next Friday as usual. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.